I don't have anything clever this time. We ready to do this? Yeah. Okay, let's do this. Say hi. Are you already recording? Yeah. Oh my God. That's not funny. <laughs> Surprise. I suppose it's better than crying right now, though. <laughs> yeah, it is. So. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's Travis. Hey, it's Ashley. And this week, we're doing The Fly uh, from 1986. Yeah. Ashley loves it. Uh. <laughs> I'm not doing so hot right well, now. Well, she loves the front half and cries through the back <laughs> half. I I love this movie so much. I have complicated feelings with it, though, obviously. But I believe this was the first time you sat down and really paid attention to it. Is it is. that a correct assessment? Yeah, it's the first time I've actually watched it, I guess, at all. Because normally you put it on and I'm like, ah, that's that gross Cronenberg movie. <laughs> so I just find something else to do. It's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. <laughs> It is a lot. So, so anyway, um, what do you, what did you think? It's a good movie. <laughs> I'm not a huge you on say body that, horror. You say that with some hesitation. Yeah, I'm not big on body horror, and I know that when we did uh, My Bloody Valentine, uh, 2009, I talked about how I'm not a big fan of gore just for the sake of gore, and he does do that a little bit in this movie, but well, I it's believe not, this was the thing we were talking about there being gore, but with a purpose. You know, whereas opposed to something like Dead Alive, it's just gore for gore's sake. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I think there's a there's a huge difference I mean, between if, those. If you said that the gore in here is is used to just really visually demonstrate his transformation, then okay. His deterioration. You know, so. Yeah. I guess you could go that route with it if you really wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Um so, I, don't, I don't have a long intro on this one. One thing that it was surprised I was surprised about is that this was done by Brooks Film. Yeah, I guess that's Mel Brooks. Yeah, who's which normally is known for doing comedy. Really surprising because when I think Mel Brooks, I think Spaceballs. Yeah, or Little Rascals in my case, Blazing Saddles. Yeah, that type stuff, of stuff like that. This is yeah. not <laughs> not typically something that you associate with Mel Brooks. You do that Robin Hood movie too, Men in Tights. Men in Tights. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> tight tight tights. <laughs> We're men. <laughs> anyway, so it's good. Let's just do the spoiler warning and get into it. <laughs> All right. This is your obligatory spoiler warning. At Dead and Married, we talk about major plot points that might ruin films for the casual viewer. If you don't mind spoilers, join us now. Okay, so I kind of already know the answer to this, but... What do you think about this movie? I love this movie so much. Like it's uh anytime somebody asks me what my top five are, that's always in my top five. Easy. I mean, it's it's not even a question. Is it my favorite horror movie of, of all time? No, that still goes to Hellraiser. But this is probably and forgive me for sounding like a freak, but um this is probably the most beautiful film I've ever seen. In my life. And I'm not talking about, you know, somebody would be like, how could you call something that gross beautiful? But it's, oh my gosh, it's so hard to explain. It's it's all of the emotion, um, the surrealness of it. Um, I'm a, an empathetic person by nature. And <laughs> so I, I tend to take things to heart pretty easily. And one thing I do in not just horror movies, but in all movies is... I always tend to put myself in the position of the main characters and how would I feel if this was happening to me? Um, 
And this this film's a very hard one to do that with because you you like to think you would behave a certain way in a situation. And this is one of those situations that because it's someone you love that you're so intertwined with, you can't, it cannot possibly be that cut and dry. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's hard. And um, the performances are heartbreaking and you, you wouldn't, Okay, so for instance, I really, really also adore the 1958 original. That is a, it is, I wouldn't say it's as equally as fucked up, but it still has its moments of the, I mean, just the subject matter is pretty messed up. But how do I put this? <laughs> it's, it, the remake is so much more, uh, it, it tugs at the heartstrings so much more at a guttural level than the original does. Well, I don't think I've ever sat through the original completely i think i've been in the room when it was on but it seems like it's more of a cut and dried sci-fi it is and it's it does fall along those lines of you get that real whole mad scientist thing so it does seem (laughs) it's typical of the sci-fi movies of the 80s where you had a giant ant or you had you mean the 50s 50s what did i say (laughs) you said the 80s well close enough so (laughs) but you know where you've got you're mad scientist and he makes a giant ant or they drop a nuclear weapon and you get a giant iguana, whatever. Yeah. Or, they did or, a lot of those monster movies kind of like that. that yeah. Or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, that, that type of thing where you, you got this guy who's, who has well enough intentions to start, but they end up always going horribly wrong. But you also just get that charm from the original that it, there is some humor in that there's some over the top acting and, um, you know, the kids and I, we can't go through with that. If anybody mentions the fly, we start going, help me, help me, you know, <laughs> it's, um, it's a pretty popular doll I make in the shop. So I think that there is a lot of love and nostalgia for that particular movie. But this one, it's almost like you wouldn't know that it's a remake of that one because it's its own separate entity. They're two completely different movies. You know, the story's there, but I don't know. It's just amped up to 11. Well, we've talked about it before where there's movies, well, like this one and The Thing. And I'm drawing a blank on a third thing, but I know we've (laughs) talked about them. Where they are remakes, but the remakes are old. Yeah. And so nobody really thinks of these as remakes. They think of them as um, the original. Yeah. In in whatever whatever capacity that is. If you don't bring up The Thing or The Fly, if you bring up The Thing or The Fly, you don't automatically, the originals don't come to mind. Right. So, or or at least not for me. But it could be because there was 30 years between the original and these, for the most part. So, So what did you like about it? So, wow. (laughs) So, I guess I would start with the music, right? Because that was the first thing that I noticed. Now, this doesn't have a theme song like Halloween or Friday the 13th or something like that where you hear it and you immediately recognize it. I I would. Well, I'm sure you would. (laughs) But most normal people would not recognize it. Um, but it's very, it opens with a very powerful score mm-hmm. and, and that's something you kind of notice throughout your musical undertones and, and what have you as you go through it or they're really good the, and, and it, it fits what's happening on screen really well. The, the music just sort of flows through the movie and I, I appreciate it. Like I said, it's not something that I, I would hear it and go, oh yeah, that's the fly, but it works. So it's noticeable, not in a bad way mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, I think that's pretty much it for the music. Oh, I was like, for the movie? Jesus, yeah. honey. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not I'm not like a music aficionado, I guess, when it comes to movies. So 
it's either good and it fits, it it's not there at all, or it was bad. Like mm-hmm. I have three categories I lump movie music into, and that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of those three. This one was good. It worked. It, it it works with the film. So so this is a like of mine too. So do we want to just do this back and forth yeah. this time? Okay, great. So I agree with everything that you said except for. Um, I do recognize that one. If, if I heard it, yes, I am a giant nerd. nerd. I'm actually really surprised. I don't, I haven't downloaded this album already. Um, it's very dramatic. And I guess that's what I, what I, one of the things I love about it the most. There is one scene as I was watching where I thought, okay, maybe that doesn't quite fit there. And it's basically after Seth has kicked Veronica out and he goes out on the town and he's he's all shirtless and eating his candy bar and the big theme plays right there. And I thought, okay, maybe right here it doesn't work. It feels a little dramatic. But it's also one of the things that if this score was not in this film, I don't know that I would cry as much as I do. Because the score is very powerful in certain scenes, um, in particular the end of the movie, um, that is just... I, music can just do that for you and not necessarily music and film, but just songs you listen to. They can always evoke a mood or take you back somewhere. Um, Good music give, gets an emotional response. Agree. From the listener. Yes. And so, yeah, I'm one of those people. I have a very strong reaction to music and film. And this is one for me that it, yeah, it, it, it's heart wrenching. I don't know what other way to describe it. You know, I mean, I know you hate for me to use the word bombastic in terms of movies, or I mean, in terms of music, but this is one of those that it like it really hits you really hard, almost as much as the film itself does. So I don't know how to explain that any better, but that's my opinion on music. So what else you got? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think. We'll just, we'll just move on to acting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's got a really small cast, and it's really it's really three people, mm-hmm. right? There's a handful of other actors in there, but they get such little screen time that I don't know if they weren't there. Honestly, it wouldn't change the story much, except for Tawny. Um, I think she's the only other one that gets any significant screen time outside of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if you took her out, it wouldn't really change the arc. Of the story. She was just uh, an element that got put in there. Uh, I, I like Jeff Goldblum. I think he's he's a good actor consistently. Mm-hmm. But I think you probably have to be really careful about what roles you put him in. Because he's always... I think he thrives in that kind of quirky, weird, sort of offbeat I'll agree with character. That. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of where he is. And if you've watched interviews with him, he's just that guy all the time. Uh, like his speech patterns, all that stuff. That's just him. <laughs> That's what I love about him. He's honestly. not acting. That's just <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. But I like that. Yeah. Um, and I think because he's that way to an extent off screen, it makes his on screen performances in those types of roles more believable. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's comfortable operating in that space mm-hmm. as an actor because it's it's closer to his his everyday. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes the performance better. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gina Davis. I, every time I see her, I think uh, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> what movie was that? that was, I just remember uh, Tom Hanks screaming at her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, or uh, what? Thelma and Louise. Yeah. That mm-hmm. was the other one. And I don't know. Maybe I just haven't seen a ton of movies yeah, with her in it. That's where I'm at, too. But 
she's a good actress. I mean, mm-hmm. in this one, she was good. The emotion was there. I, I like it that they wrote her as a, a strong female character. You know, she's independent. She just does her own thing. Because mm-hmm. um, in this one, she is effectively the final girl, right? <laughs> so, this is not a slasher, though. <laughs> no, but she is. She's she's the last one standing, sort of, at the end. Yeah, because the other guy can't stand. He's Aww, he's only- <laughs> too soon. <laughs> yeah, he's only got one foot. But um, And even the guy that plays Stathis, and I can't remember his name. John Guest. This is, the, this is the only movie I've seen him in that I recognized him. Mm-hmm. If he's been in anything else that I've seen, I just it was like, oh, okay. I, I don't know who he is, so it's fine. But he was good. Um, and it's it's I never liked him in this movie. Like what little bit that I actually watched of it. I always thought he was kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. But I think sitting and really watching it this time, I think he was really in love with Gina Davis. He just couldn't express himself, mm-hmm. right? It's just that asshole part of his personality <laughs> consistently came out. But his attitude sort of changes as you go through the movie. Well, I mean, it's it's pretty condensed. It's right there at the end, but it's not so last minute that it can't change the audience's opinion of that character. Exactly. And I know that was one of the things that we had talked about on uh, My Bloody Valentine, My Bloody Valentine, the remake, mm-hmm. is that yes, um, Axel. Axel has a has a character arc, but it's more of a spike. <laughs> And it takes place in the last three minutes of the movie. And by then you don't care. No. It, it's too late. But I think they start Stathis's change early enough on. And his change is dramatic enough that you kind of care about what happens to him at the end. Mm-hmm. And his end is pretty rough. Yes. And I got to say, like he, he heroed up at the end, sort of. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dude tried. And, and I think that was really it. And I never noticed before that he, he really did care for Gina Davis. He just didn't know how to express that. Mm-hmm. And he turned out to be kind of a decent dude at the end. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> but he's got a, like a mile-wide asshole streak. Yes. Like he does. Yeah. But anyway, overall, I don't, I don't have problems with the acting. I didn't get any points where I felt like somebody was just chewing the screen up. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like any of them had any like strange reactions. I don't feel like you got any weird dialogue. I mean, the writing was good. Or I say that between the writing and the talent of the actors, it, it worked. Yes. You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I would imagine that there are times when you can have a, a not so great script and your actors are caliber above. And so they can make it work or they ad lib or whatever until it it sounds good. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case may be, it was good in this movie. The writing was up to, so, up to par. Yeah. Whether it was the writing or the talent or both of those things working mm-hmm. together. No really awkward acting scenes or anything like that. So, I don't know. Nothing made me cringe in this movie except for the gore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, the only thing that makes you kind of like, is that. It's, it's yes. the, the effects. So, how about you? What do you think about the acting? So, obviously, and you picked on me for, for this last week, um, Jeff Goldblum is one of my favorite actors. Um, and my daughter and I have adoringly call him one of our boyfriends because he's not say he's say he's not attractive in a traditional sense you know you're not talking about chris evans or or something like that but it's all it's amount it's an amalgamation of all these things that he's nerd sexy (laughs) i guess so well he's a nerd in everything you see him in it's it's he's just a nerd with a six pack yeah (laughs) okay that doesn't that doesn't hurt but i'm not talking necessarily in terms of any physical attributes it's just he he's sexy in a way from being that funny awkward and yet brilliant and confident all at the same time it's it's a weird combination that somehow just works 
Um, but yes, he was, now that you brought it up, he was in tremendous shape for this movie. I don't know if he walks around like that all the time, but, um, but he yeah. Because every time I've seen him, he's always a skinny guy. He had, he has some physical and stuff in this film. When he's doing his lounge singer kickback in Jurassic Park and he's wearing the black Woo! shirt. I know that's your favorite. <laughs> you know, they made a shower curtain out of that. I don't doubt it. <laughs> but he pretty much in Jurassic Park looks like he did in this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. But that was 10 years later. With so. slightly better hair. <laughs> yeah, he is He is kind of rocking a mullet in everything, almost, except for Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. But at any rate, he's, I don't know, he's kind of, he's always been a skinny guy. He's not one of the, he's not like Gerard Butler, right? Where you see him and he's like huge buff King Leonidas. And then six months later, he looks like me. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I think Jeff Goldblum just kind of walks around like that all the time. Yeah. But I mean, he's a lot older now, so he may not. But yeah, I don't know. Some some lucky bastards just walk around skinny <laughs> all the time. I think about what I'm going to have for lunch tomorrow, and I can feel it. <laughs> you shouldn't have thought about that. You're getting fatter. Anyway. But anyway, um, kind of to piggyback off of what you said about him, though, in that you think that this is the way he plays these characters so well because it's so much of himself. I don't disagree with that necessarily. But at the same time, this to me was probably his best performance of anything that I've ever seen him do. Um, because yes, he did do all those things that I just mentioned, the things that I I love him for. But at the same time, he really brought an an emotion to this that I would not have expected otherwise from him. Um, a lot of the scenes that are in this movie that just reduce me to ugly crying are his. Um, yes, Gina Davis did that for me too, but he really broke my heart in this movie, like so much. Um, we, we'll get around to it in a little bit, but Aiden and I, we always bring up the uh, insect politics scene. And to me, that's just one that's, it's not a very long scene. It's only a few seconds, but it's it's enough that it's it's just the most depressing thing you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> but um, I, I I think this is his best role ever to date. Well, I would say that late game in this movie, he does a really good job of conveying uh, emotion through some pretty heavy prosthetics. And of course, the further the movie goes along, the worse those prosthetics get. It's I mean, hard. I mean worse in terms of layers, not worse in terms of quality. Oh, the, yeah, no, no. We, we'll talk about effects in a minute, but um, I can imagine that it would be really hard to convey emotion when they take your facial expression away. Absolutely. And they really do with him. Mm-hmm. And it happens pretty quickly after he uh, does the teleportation thing. Which is so even more a testament to his acting he, ability. He's able to convey quite a bit of emotion just through his voice, mm-hmm. uh, spoken word, and his eyes. Because mm-hmm. you notice they never changed his eyes all the way up to the end of the movie until he makes his final, he gets his Frieza's final form, <laughs> right? I was waiting for that. <laughs> you knew it was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, he does a really good job of conveying that emotion even through those prosthetics. So yeah, I would say I would say he's probably got better acting chops than you see in most of the things that he's in yeah. after this. Yeah, for sure. Because he's, I don't want to say he's a one note after this, but no. I, I don't feel no, like no. they... In, mo- in I don't know of any movies that he did after this where they cast him in such an emotional role. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's Dr. Grant's sidekick slash competitor for whoever that other scientist lady was. <laughs> he's Will Smith's sidekick, saving the world from aliens. Mm-hmm. He's the crazy ruler of some junk planet. Yeah. But they don't... Like, this was probably the most emotional role I've ever seen him in. 
Yes. And he, he did good. Yeah. he All, all three of them. They really. Had, yeah. All three of them absolutely killed it. They did it. a fantastic job. Yeah. Um, as far as Gina Davis goes, the same thing. Her, her emotion throughout, I was just right there where she is. And she's put in some of the most extraordinary circumstances where I don't know that I would have handled it as well as she did. And other situations where I would have handled it worse than she did. Like, I, I, I can't. And, and I'm like you, I don't have a lot of experience with her as an actress beyond, like you said, Thelma and Louise. Um, League of Their Own. Yeah. Well, it's been decades probably since I've seen yeah, that Yeah, and movie. that's one of those movies that you see one time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it wasn't that great a movie. But <laughs> but she, but you do hear her name still as an important actress. And it's movies like this that I believe prove her ability as an actress because. And she, after watching this movie, it makes you wonder why you haven't seen her in more stuff. Maybe not like this. Maybe we just haven't been looking. Yeah. Well, I think she there for the latter part of her career. It's been more TV than, than film. Okay. But, um, and John gets, he, I, he was totally believable as an asshole. And the only other movie I know that I've seen him in at the risk of sounding like a giant geek is, uh, Curly Sue, which was a movie I watched a hundred times when I was little, like a little girl. Um, and he was giant grade A asshole in that movie too. So I, I know him as that archetype, but I found him in this film to be so much more layered as a human being. And I have some friends, and they're probably listening, but I have some friends that say his character is irredeemable. Um, and he does do some things in this film that are pretty shit. Like going and letting himself into Veronica's apartment and showering in there. That's... That's violation. In Can we a, be friends and have casual sex? Yeah, it's violation in a way. Some, he's got some highly douchey moments. Yeah, I can, I cannot defend those actions. But he does become a lot more sympathetic at the end. But, in the last 20 minutes or so of the movie, I think. But we'll, yeah, and we'll get into that as we're going down. But, but yes, I do happen to be on the other side where I can defend him as a person, and I do feel like he does redeem himself throughout the film, and we'll discuss that, obviously. Um, but, yeah, overall, all three of those actors, and they all had such great chemistry together. John Getz and Gina Davis had great chemistry, the two of them. Obviously, Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum had wonderful chemistry between them, but at the time, they were dating, so they had a shorthand with each other, and knew how to work off of each other, that you you bought them being a couple. And you would believe that Gina Davis and John Getz had dated and broken up. Yes. Yeah. Because they acted like they didn't like each other very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they all, like I said, they all acted their asses off. Like, it's it, it's unbelievable the talent that was in this film. So, and that's, a, that's again, just a testament to David Cronenberg having an eye for having the vision that he does in his films. So that's why he's head and shoulders up there with some of my favorite directors. But hell, even the baboon <laughs> acted its ass off in this movie. So like even the baboon brought his game. <laughs> I love that scene where he just jumps right into Seth's arms and just hugs him like he's scared. It's yeah, it's a cute baboon. <laughs> are baboons monkeys or apes? I was, I was going to say ape, but are they actually monkeys? I don't know. I don't either. <laughs> 
<laughs> but moving on to practical effects now, which you, you honestly can't say enough about in this movie. Um, a couple of scenes really stick out among the others, and the the first one being the first poor baboon, speaking of which. And that scene where he tries teleporting the baboon for the first time. Uh, I'm going to make a really bad analogy here. Let's just say I'll never be able to eat chicken wings the same way again. <laughs> oh my gosh, so disgusting. And I think what he said was the baboon got turned inside out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's... oh. That was, that was pretty rough. That's pretty fucked. It was very moist looking <laughs> oh i hate that word i know you do that's why i use it <laughs> the the effects team worked their ass off in this movie yeah i, I don't know who did it i didn't look to see if it was I a company or if I it was either. just you know yeah some random Im- immensely talented people that did it but yeah definitely they had an eye for gore yeah and then um i would say after that would probably be the fingernail segment <laughs> Because it's the only one in the film that I still have to look away every time I know that's coming. So, yeah, but there's a lot. There's the the inside out baboon. There's the when he breaks that guy's wrist in the bar. Oh man, that looks like a real compound fracture. It looks it awful. Looked, it looked really good. As I mean, much it as does. something like that can look good. <laughs> yeah, but the fingernail pulling scene. Um, just his face overall as you yeah. go through the movie mm-hmm. and you get the physical deterioration um, when he spits his teeth out mm-hmm. at one point, kind of late in the movie. It's just, it's really good. The only, the only effects that I would say weren't great are the fly suit at the very end, not the animatronic fly or whatever that was, but when it's still Brundle fly. Mm-hmm. But I also acknowledge that it's going to be really hard to make a really good looking latex suit with a person in it. See, I don't have that problem at all. The all of that is just I don't know. Maybe if we, we maybe if we hadn't been watching it in HD, it wouldn't have looked like You know, you can't make that argument every time. Sure I can. <laughs> I absolutely can. This movie was made in 1986. If you were watching this on a, a VHS tape, you would never know that that's a latex suit or yeah. whatever. But you can tell you could tell on an HD TV. And so many people try, have tried to rip that off after the fact. Have you ever noticed that? Um, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, oh, fuck, what is that movie? The Beast Within, about the the the, the lady that, that gets ripped. The lady that gets raped by the locust thing. And then she has the son. And then later on, he has his big transformation scene where he turns into a giant locust. So, yeah. obviously, that was probably inspired by the fly, because everybody was like, oh, we got to try that, too. And But it's it's a it's a testament to how powerful the, the effects were in this movie, that everybody wanted to run out and, and replicate that. Yeah. yeah. I think overall, watching his, his the effects, marking his transition through uh, this metamorphosis that he goes through. Mm-hmm. Pretty, they're they're on point. And there's things also they, they would be up there as probably some of the best uh, practical effects I've seen on film. Yeah, and there's things also that have nothing to do with the fly stuff itself. Him just walking across the ceiling and hopping down from a wall and yeah, that part where he hops down from the wall because you can't see wires or anything and it doesn't cut. He's on the wall. He hops down. I would like to know how they did that. Yeah, I mean the only thing I could come up with was. They must have done the same thing like they did in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street with the upside down room and, you know, the weird force perspective. Yeah, they had a whole room in it on a gimbal yeah. and spun it. I, I don't know. 
I mean, you get him climbing on the ceiling, yeah, they probably shot that one upside down or something. Yeah. But the point where he's he gets to the bottom and he's on the wall, jumps down and stands up. Yeah. It's amazing to look at. I would like to see how they how they manage that. Yeah. And to uh, to piggyback off of what you said, too, about maybe one thing not really working. That's obviously when he's doing the gymnastic type stunts. And you can obviously tell it's another guy. But some of that, some of those were close-ups. And so Jeff Goldblum, and maybe it's why he looked as well as he did, he obviously started some of those. But in the more complicated things, they obviously had to get a gymnast or yeah. something for yeah. that. But The only rock I would throw at that... Is that I'm sitting there watching it, and I thought, cool, it's Spider-Man's origin story. Because <laughs> they do the same thing. Yeah. And he's like, oh, cool, I'm ripped. I'm going to go climb on stuff. I'm going to jump around. See how strong I am. Like, Well, that wouldn't be throwing a rock at the fly. That'd be throwing a rock at Spider-Man. <laughs> because, you know, that well, I guess came man came after the fact. After, but <laughs> yeah, it was very similar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I don't know. But, yeah. It didn't take me out of the movie, though. I just to, I thought about that sort of after the fact. I know you said that you don't like body horror, but for me, this is why I love body horror, is because you get to go through and just see that gradual change throughout. And it, it feels like a magic trick, almost, where you're just like, oh my god, how'd they do that? Oh my god, and it's it's worse this time. It's, oh my god, it's even more worse this time. How could it possibly get any worse the next time? And it, they just keep getting gradually worse. Well, body horror is not my thing. Mm -hmm. But in this movie, it works, even for me. And it works for me because his the body horror element sort of mirrors his emotional and mental state as mm -hmm. it goes through. Because um, initially, you know, he's getting high on his own supply. He wakes up. He's super strong. He's arrogant. He thinks he's been totally transformed. He's better than human. He's more human than human. <laughs> um, until it goes too far. And then it's, oh, shit. And then his... His mental state sort of deteriorates in a way with his physical. Mm -hmm. And since they run those two things in parallel, to me, it makes the body horror component more tolerable. Right. And I would say as far as body horror goes, because you, I would say you don't always necessarily think of Cronenberg first. I do. I absolutely think oh, of Cronenberg I do. first. But I know that other people also bring Clive Barker to the table with that. Um and they were about the same time. Those two films were about the same time. Um, but I would still say, even though for me, Hellraiser is my favorite film, I would say that nobody has rivaled Cronenberg in the body horror department. No, Cronenberg makes some fucked up stuff. And his his work has influenced directors of today. I'm, the most recent being the new Candyman, I would say, because you get the same thing where spoilers um he gets the bee sting and then gradually he just from the hand up just gets fucked up all the way down was that his right or left side or whatever yeah it's down one side of his face yeah and you can see where that and the fingernail thing <laughs> you can see where that inspiration came from you know and that's because cronenberg's the best at it but um now i guess let's talk about um, some of the themes from this movie, because I know that was a thing that we were kind of discussing prior to recording. And that's what does this film mean to you? What did you get out of it necessarily? And when we were talking about this earlier, I was telling Travis how um, Cronenberg has said that it is an analogy for aging. And he was like, how? <laughs> Or you, you were like, how? how, where did you, how did you get that? that? That's just not what I took from it. 
So why don't why don't you explain to me what you took out of it? Well, I think there's there's two sides to the story, right? But I think that you could look at this as sort of um, maybe drug abuse, dependency, mm-hmm. right? And you've got the, the, the user as they, maybe at first, they're like, I'm getting high and I love it. And then as it, it, when the drug gets its hooks in and they're like, I know and, and where we're at, where we live, methamphetamines are really terrible here. And so you see the, that person just deteriorate, disintegrate almost. Um, and then you've got Gina Davis representing the, the family member, maybe, mm-hmm. that's having to watch that happen to that person. Mm-hmm. Um, cancer, potentially. Mm-hmm. You could look at that from a, a uh, the, the cancer patient and a caregiver, mm-hmm. the relationship between those two. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like there's, um, a, there's lot a lot of people of say AIDS. There's a lot of, yeah. I mean, I guess, except that that's not necessarily a guaranteed death, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think any, any situation where you have a person that is having something really horrible happen to them and at first, maybe they don't understand what's happening to them and a caregiver or a family member or someone who has to just sort of watch helplessly as this horrible thing happens to somebody they love. Mm-hmm. I think there, there's a lot of different ways, different, um, scenarios that you could, right. that you could attribute that to. Mm-hmm. I just don't see old age as one of them because they would have grown old together. Mm-hmm. Well, I could see that on the one part, if you are sympathizing with uh, Veronica, you know, about having to watch this addict or sick person go through this and you're kind of powerless to stop it. But you had you had brought up, yes, that you don't necessarily see aging. So I had to think about this pretty long and hard. And as we were going throughout the movie, I'm going, okay, how... How would Cronenberg be getting this, coming up with this? And I, I put together my own little page of notes here. It's not very long, but I did think about it pretty hard. And it's kind of you start with, with Seth kind of being in his prime a little bit. Um, maybe not necessarily before the transformation you really see it, but after the transformation you see that he's, He's in peak physical condition. He feels great. He wants to fuck all the time. He eats like shit. But you also get that other side of him that's very moody and angry, um, very angsty. And then um, once it starts getting worse and worse, um, you kind of get the thing that we get as adults where you start getting these physical changes that you don't necessarily know how they happened or why they happened. Um, Are you talking about hair in weird places? Not just that, yes. But I'm talking about, you know, you start losing your hair. And, and of course... Not yet. No. Thank God. No, I'm talking about the span. I, I know of, what you mean. Yes. But you start losing your hair. You start losing your teeth. And meanwhile, your brain doesn't necessarily age and so it's the same thing where, I mean, cause, cause I go through this myself. I'm, I'm not quite 40 yet, but I go through that myself where it's like you still feel a certain way and you still see your certain way, see yourself in a certain way in your mind. But these things are happening to you that you have no control over. You know, it starts with your joints and your back and, um, you don't have the metabolism that you used to have. Um, and you're absolutely powerless to stop it. You're looking at these changes happening to you in the mirror. And you can't do anything about it. And so 
not necessarily for me, but I do know people, I have people in my life that for some reason this affects them on a, on a deeper level. Like I, I know people, they get really depressed about aging. And so they're always trying to keep up. They're trying to color their gray hair. They're trying to do stuff for wrinkles or going on diet after diet after diet. Whereas I don't worry about it so much. I just cut my hair <laughs> about every month or so. Um, but I I am choosing to great to age gracefully. But I know a lot of people don't, are not lucky enough to feel that way. Um, and other things like when he first starts transforma- transforming, <laughs> when he first starts transforming his the stuff on his face at the beginning almost looks like acne. That's what it looks like. Like he's just got bumps all over his face. And then yes, the weird hair, uh, like you were talking about, well, and, and like. I don't I don't know about women, but I know that a lot of men they, they there's a denial phase there yeah. where they refuse to admit that they're not 18 anymore. Mm-hmm. So I I could see that to a point. Yeah, my, I guess my problem with the aging line there is Gina Davis being the observer to that. Yes, unless I know. you say that she's like maybe a child watching a parent get old. Yeah, but, but he didn't. I I don't think he was thinking in terms of her character i think he when he's talking about aging this being about aging i think he's strictly talking about the brundle character but that's that's what i got out of it and once all of this horrible stuff has happened to him and there's literally nothing he can do about it he does kind of get to this phase of acceptance you know he's because at one point he's saying well maybe this disease can be helpful and you know maybe it's not all that bad maybe you know that's kind of where you're you start trying to go along with it or whatever but ultimately at the end there's nothing he can do and he accepts his death so i i can absolutely see where that came so did did i did i explain myself well you did was <laughs> that a well put together argument the only argument that i would <laughs> offer is that he doesn't accept his death because at the end he's going to throw uh, Veronica in a pod and put himself in the other pod and merge him and her and the baby all together into some one weird person. Well, I didn't say he had any, didn't have any spikes, but there is a period there where he, he does tell her, leave me alone, go away. He, you know, he wants yeah, to be alone the, to die. When he, when he gives the insect politics thing. Yes. And he's like, basically you need to leave because I'm afraid I'll hurt you. Yeah. And then, stay. and then, you know, of course at the end he wants her to take his life and I don't want to live this way anymore, you know, yeah. which is something else that happens to people. I don't, I don't want to grow old and sick and die, you know, and he, he does get to that point where she is, it's not very long, but he does try to accept her help for about a minute and she is just kind of taking care of him and going through this with him. You know, you don't, I think it's one of those things that you think about, like you said, for instance, if you get sick, you know, and then you have your partner having to clean up after you and watch you look like a shadow of your former self and you know it's it's all god it's very heartbreaking yeah. <laughs> but um so i have the tiniest section here on what i what i don't like and some of them are just fucking they're literally nitpicks so the first one that it always fucking makes me cry like literally i cannot watch this movie without making me cry every single time like, just now when we finished this, you had asked me twice if I was okay because I'm sitting back there full on Kim Kardashian ugly crying over the lost earring. Yeah, you're over there <laughs> boohooing pretty hard. Like, yeah, I, I don't know what it is about it that just, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a very natural response for me to just cry. 
So I don't, I don't know. And then going back to what we were talking before with, uh, character decision, decision making, I get frustrated that all of this happened because of Seth's insecurity. It, it bugs the shit out of me every time because I just think how much heartbreak could he have saved himself if he had just had a conversation with Veronica about how he was feeling and, and ask her directly, is there anything going on between you and Stathis? Well, he does ask that question, but he asks it but too late. But after the fact, yeah. Yeah, he asks too late. Yeah. So you're going to ask me what I don't like about it? <laughs> what don't you like about it? Because you know how I am about horror movies. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready. Lay it on me. I don't really have anything. Really? I really don't. Really? Yeah. That is so surprising coming from me. You so, usually can find one thing. So this is kind of like the original My Bloody Valentine. Right? Like, if you ask me what I like about it, it's easy for me to talk about stuff that I liked about it. Mm-hmm. If you ask me what I don't like about it, I'd have a hard time putting my finger on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess if I was going to have one dislike, I have to pair it with a like. Mm-hmm. Right? The cinematography, for the most part, was really good. Mm-hmm. One scene in particular, after she... Yeah, they have their fight because he's like, I'm Superman now and you need to do the, you need to teleport so you can feel as awesome as I do. Mm-hmm. And she refuses. So he kicks her out. Mm-hmm. And there's this long shot of her alone in the hallway. And you really with the way it's shot, with the lighting and everything, which the lighting in this movie is fantastic. Um, you really get a sense of how alone she feels. Yes. In that hallway. Like it's I don't know. It's very simple, but it seems to be I hate to use this word. It's a powerful shot. <laughs> I don't like saying crap like that. It's like, I hate it when people say it's iconic. Ugh. Drives me up the wall. It's overly used. Anyway. <laughs> but I think it's fantastic. And I would have liked to have seen more of that. Maybe not just people standing in hallways. Don't go, don't get me wrong. But I feel like some of the shots, if they had gone just a little bit wider, which I don't think it's a secret that I like wide angle lens. I like Panavision. Um, if some of the shots had been a little wider, it would have been good. Maybe a little bit longer would have mm-hmm. been good. Um, overall... That's about it. For the longest time, Stathis, he was my, he was the thing that I love to hate about this. Mm -hmm. But when I actually watch the movie, he does come around at the end. Well, this is a good opportunity to get into. um, Yeah. He turns that corner before you get to the point where you no longer care if he does or not, you know? Yeah. So. This is a good opportunity for us to get in what we like and don't like about the characters. Then. Okay. So, you want me to start? You want to start? I don't know. I could just continue. You could continue, yes. Okay. Go ahead and continue. So, I think, character-wise, I feel like you really get a sense with uh, with Brundle in the, at the beginning of the movie how desperate he is to share what he's doing with someone, mm-hmm. but he's afraid for everyone to know, right? He really wants the approval. He wants someone to look at what he's done and be amazed. But he's scared of everyone finding out, the scientific community finding out. So he kind of latches on to Gina Davis, whether it's love at first sight or whatever. Um, you can tell he's lonely. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's basically what it is. And then with her, you know, it doesn't take long into her coming back to the lab. And he t- tells her what he's working on and talks to her about it. And she's recording it already when he's like, no, you can't publish this. She's struggling to balance what her feelings for him or what she thinks might be feelings for him with her professional job. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She's trying to balance love and journalism, I guess. And she does a really good job of bringing that to the screen. I think Mm -hmm. Um, that's really going to, that's like the two big ones. I think for me, Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Stathis at the end, like I said, he, he comes around Mm -hmm. Um, and it had to be love. And that's, 
Maybe that sounds corny or whatever. He didn't come back to kill Seth. He came back to find her. Mm-hmm. Right. He brought the shotgun maybe for Seth, but he came back to try to save her. And even after he lo- loses a hand and a foot, he still fights to save her mm-hmm. because she was going to die. At that point, he was no longer in any danger, really. He could have crawled his way out the door, but, you know, he stayed for her. So Right. Anyway, what about you? So you brought you brought up a good point, and that's it right at the beginning. We don't get, like, that real proper introduction between Seth and Veronica. We don't know what made them start having that conversation. But I can't help but feel like there was, an, like you said, a love at first sight thing almost. There was an instant attraction. And maybe not necessarily on her part, but definitely on his. And I think... It could be that he knew about her already, has has read her work before, but we don't, you know, as, we as an audience don't know that. But yeah, he definitely wants to impress her. But like I said before, he does have this, this air of confidence and arrogance about him, but at the same time, he has crippling self-doubt at the same time. And therefore, he's always needing to prove himself, whether it be to her or a chick in the bar or a couple of dudes arm wrestling, he's got to prove himself to somebody. And I think that that's very tragic. Um, And I really, really enjoyed the character of Veronica because she's not typical of the women in horror film of, of that time. Whereas almost every female was either that final girl or the damsel in distress or just a meek little girl that's afraid of men. And I really enjoyed that she, yes, of course, she has her moments of vulnerability throughout this film, but at the same time, she's so strong and so capable. Um, And in the beginning, I I find it strange that she would just go hop in a car with a guy that she doesn't know. She doesn't know anything about. She's going to go to his apartment. For all she knows, he could cut her up in the bathtub, you know? (laughs) But she's she's strong enough and capable enough that she does go with this guy and takes a chance. And because of his charm and his brilliance, it, it doesn't take her long to fall in love with him. And it's very understandable that she does. And the fact that no matter what he goes through in this film, and like I said, progressively getting worse and worse and worse, she stands by him throughout and she has every reason to walk away. And it's easy to walk away. She, you know, she could have turned him into authorities or or the hospital, something at any point. But she was also respectful of him to try to let him work this out on his own. You know what I mean? And with Stathis, you do get this history. Well, you don't get a lot of it, but you do get this unspoken history between them that even though they did go through something that effectively broke them up. She's also not a bitch to him either. She, in a way, still cares about his feelings enough that when it does get serious between she and Seth, she's like, look, I've got to go have a conversation with him about this. And so it it's a lot, says a lot about her character that she she's trying to make these people in her life happy, you know? And with Stathis, <laughs> again... I know I'm in the minority here. I'm obviously not with you, but, um, or you and I are in the minority rather that yes, he does some pretty shitty and scummy stuff throughout the beginning of this film, but, and I'm not making excuses for him. Some of his actions, it doesn't make it right, but 
I get the sense that he was not a person who was ready for that relationship to be over. And it's, it doesn't come across in a crazy stalker, I'm, you know, I've got your face tattooed on my butt cheek kind of way or whatever. He's, it's not, it's not creepy. You get, you get the sense that he is genuinely still in love with her and he can't get over her. And even when this is going on and she's, she's fucking another guy or whatever, he still cares about her well-being and he's still trying. I mean, he even comes out and tells her, once he's like, I don't want you to not be in my life. I don't want you to disappear. And to me, that was really heartbreaking because I think all of us have been there in some form or fashion where even though you might feel a certain way about your ex-partner, you you still don't want anything bad to happen to them. You know, um, maybe not you. But <laughs> I was going to say I know, but he, to me, he acts kind of like, I don't know, like a third or fourth grade boy. You know, they like, they like this other little girl, so they pick on him. Mm -hmm. And he kind of does that, mm -hmm. right? I like her, so I'm going to pick at her. It's very adolescent, the way he acts. Yes. So, but I yeah, at the end of the day, I think he really does have those feelings. And I, I agree. That point where he says, I just don't want you to disappear from my life. It shows that. It's and that, sad. And that's kind of the turning point for his character. Mm -hmm. Is right there where he realizes that he could really lose her. Mm -hmm. And so he sort of changes his behavior a little bit. He wants to be in her life no matter what, at what capacity it is at this point. And then he finds out. But then out, he says, can we have casual sex? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I think it's uncomfortable for him to stay that serious. I think mm -hmm. he had to follow it up with a joke to, you know, our our own child like that. But well, uh, like I said, he just, he can't express himself. Yes. Not well. Yes. And then you also add to that fact that she's now pregnant by another guy and he's still there trying to help her. You know, even if she had carried that baby to term, I have a feeling that he would have been out with her throughout that process. Went and found a doctor in the middle of the night. Yeah. For her. Mm -hmm. And was a lot more reserved when talking to that doctor than I would have expected. Right. He could have been an outright dick about it. He was... More respectful, I yes. think, of her than I expected him to be, mm -hmm. really, in that situation. And then, like you said, dude is, like, fucking missing an, a hand and a foot, and he still, like, nuts up and protects her at the end of the day. It And I'm sorry, for me, that that's a lot. That That's the grandest gesture I could think of, is that you love somebody enough that you're you're putting your life ahead of theirs in order to save them, in order to protect them. Um, and then with Seth, uh, going back to what I was saying just a few minutes ago about his insecurity being his downfall, the the end of the film, man, it's hard to talk about, and I'll try. <laughs> I'll try not to get choked okay, up here. Okay, I asked if you were going to be able to talk about the movie. <laughs> I'm going to try not to get choked up here. The One of the parts that just fucking kills me is when he climbs into the telepod to do that last fusion with Veronica and Stathis breaks the glass of the telepod. Um, but Seth is still in there and then he ends up fusing with the telepod and then falls out of it and it's, it's crawling. Oh my God. I don't, God, I just, I don't even know with that. And then where he just gives up right there and he puts the barrel of the rifle to his head. I, I don't know that it gets more heartbreaking than that in a, in a film. I really don't. 
and it's you you have a list of of tragic characters throughout film throughout uh written word i think he's right up there with probably one of the most tragic characters ever made you know i'd say up there with candyman phantom of the opera it's you know hamlet it's some really <laughs> some really sad shit so but you're putting him way up there i i really am like i said this to me this is is the most beautiful movie i've ever seen in in, in terms of everything so that's why it's it's always going to be in my top five <laughs> okay so what do you you have any anything else you want to add or not really i guess i just i actually like this movie i don't know that it's one that i would say you know i'll watch it on a regular basis, necessarily. <laughs> like some people. You sure don't want to watch it at dinner. Um, it's not a good date movie, let's just say that. <laughs> no, don't go on a date and watch this movie. But, you know, it's one that I, I could rewatch it. I, I don't know. I don't know how else to say that. Well, it's not one that if you say, hey, let's watch this, then I'm going to be like, no. Unless we just watched it recently. Yeah. Um, we were having the discussion about um, cerebral versus entertainment and for me, this falls into that category of movies that they have the underlying meaning and you can fall into that rabbit hole of really, you know, like, like the very first time I saw this movie, I had to pick my jaw up. Like it was, it was a devastating movie to me just because I didn't expect it to affect me the way I did. The other side of that though, I was still really entertained. So for me, it's both, you know, you get that, ah, ah, of the gore and the special effects and all that, but you also get the, the mental stuff with it. So to me, that's why it's a perfect film. Um, I wouldn't say that it's entertaining. I, I typically associate entertainment with make me laugh. You know what I mean? But it is definitely a movie that could make you introspective a little bit, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, think about your own relationships and, and stuff like that. And how would you deal with, with those things? Um, but yeah. Would you give you me a hug if my ear fell off? I don't know. That was pretty gross, but <laughs> probably. Probably. I'd probably get a towel and like drape it over you and then hug on top of the towel. Because <laughs> we were sitting there. We were sitting there and you were like, ah, she hugged him. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty nasty though. Like he had just like puked up stuff and then his ear fell off and... I think I would have been right there with her reaction to it. All slimed all over. It was pretty nasty. Yeah. But I don't know. If you haven't seen this movie, you definitely, number one, should have watched it before you listened to us. (laughs) But if you soldiered on anyway, you definitely need to go watch this movie. It's it's good. Um, Don't eat anything while you watch it, though. Like, if you're going to eat... um, If you get past about the first 20 minutes and you're not done yet, just put your food aside Come yeah. back to it tomorrow. Otherwise, you're sitting there, <laughs> you're eating a corn dog, a sausage, then you see a dick in a jar. Yeah, there's a dick in a jar in a medicine cabinet. There's a dick in a jar. You want to avoid <laughs> drinking milk, eating yogurt, um, basically anything red. Yeah. Just don't eat. Don't eat while you watch this movie. I have eaten more than once watching this movie. I think I'm okay now. Like, so the only thing that I have to turn around. That's because you're gross. I, I I am. I'm. I'm a sick human being. I will but, admit it. But the fingernail thing, I still. I, I have to look away for that one. I don't know what it is about fingernails. I can't do fingernails. A lot of people say eyes. I can do eyes just fine. But fingernails, teeth, those are mine. And they both happen in this movie. Yeah. He pulls his fingernails off, although it doesn't appear to be painful to him to pull the fingernail off. Yeah. 
But when he squeezes his fingertip, shit Ugh. shoots out of it onto the Ugh. mirror. That's kind of that's kind of nasty. And then when he's like bites that pencil or whatever, he's pulling the taking the pencil out of his mouth. I guess he was holding it in his mouth, and his teeth start falling out. That's no, kind of I handled that a lot better than whew. let's say Odesu taking people's teeth out with a hammer. Yeah, using a claw hammer. <laughs> yeah, like apples and oranges. So that that one, I it didn't bug yeah. me quite so bad. But but this movie, if you haven't seen it, it's definitely one that you should watch on an empty stomach. <laughs> what do you What do you think? Um. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. It's it's beautiful. That those are that's my whole two word sum okay. up. You be use better words because somebody's gonna go watch this. We have literally be, been sitting here for an hour talking. And they're gonna about- be like, she lied to me. She said it was beautiful, <laughs> and this is the most disgusting shit I've ever seen. I think that beauty is subjective. The way horror is subjective. I. If you look past all the surface stuff like the gore and think about it in terms of just the story, it is a very beautiful, very well-told story. So it's beautiful in an oozy, bloody, body parts falling off kind of way. Just so that we're clear with our audience. I'm one of those people that can- All four of them. That can find- (laughs) I'm one of those people that can find beauty in gore too, though. Like the way they call Cenobites repulsive glamour. I can see that. I can I can see how they would be glamorous. Um, there's also something beautiful, like I talked about in the way where there's that shot of Julia looking in front of the mirror and her mascara is all running and she's covered in blood. That shot is gorgeous. Even though what it is, it's a beautiful, amazing shot. So You're scaring me a little. I'm sorry. <laughs> but... But yes, obviously, this is, in, in my opinion, this is required viewing. This is, I, I think I brought it up in episode one. Um, go see episode one. Listen to episode one. Where I talked about my unicorn movies. And I said, throughout this series, you would find out what my unicorn movies are. This is one of them. So, so far, you know that one is Predator. And so far, you know that one is Hellraiser. And so far, you know that one is The Fly. Um. Oh, wait. Uh, and also Candyman. So we've already got... Four of my top five movies of all time. What's the fifth one? Are you going to keep it a secret? Ah, shit. I'm going to have to... I actually have my list. You don't even know what number five is. No, I have my list in my phone. I think you're making it up as you go. No, I'm really not. I have my list in my phone, though. I'm going to have to look because I think I'm pretty sure I know what it is. And it's not a horror movie. So that could be why it's not going to get covered. But don't laugh. I'm pretty sure my last unicorn movie is RoboCop. <laughs> and I'm not even joking. <laughs> I'm sorry. That movie's fucking perfect. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> wow. Well, maybe one of these days we'll cover it on Pillow Talk or something like that. May have to, but. And we'll agree to disagree <laughs> on it being perfect. I'm sorry. There's just, there was a golden time of the 80s. Where they just had a certain type of movie, and they don't fucking make them like that anymore. They really don't. So I have such a a love and nostalgia for it. And The Fly, I came to a lot later than in life. I think I saw that for the first time maybe five plus years ago, something like that. So this was a recent watch for me. And the original, I think I just barely watched for the first time last year. So And now I love both of those movies, and I can't imagine how they have not always been part of my repertoire. So yeah, obviously go see it if you haven't. If you're afraid of body horror stuff, I would urge you to look past that part of it. 
if you're like, oh, I'm just not really into the gross things or whatever, just just stick with it because I promise well, it's so much more than that. I would say that the story outdoes the body horror. Yes. In this instance. Absolutely. It's not like, I'm sorry for anyone this offends, it's not like Hostel or Saw where it depends on gore and without it you don't have a story left. This one you've still got a good story even if you take the special effects out of it. Yes. Does that make sense? So, yeah, it's not... Look past it and just and just stick with the story and you'll be okay. Yeah. But anyway, so before we totally wrap it up, this is the last of our February episodes. Yes, it so is. So what are we going to do in March? Well, for March, I don't have a clever name for that yet as far as like a title, but we're definitely going to cover the Leprechaun franchise. Hell yeah. Woohoo! <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I've even seen all those, but they're usually funny, so I'm in on funny. Yeah. Um, and also, before we go, want to give a quick shout out to our content creator of the month. And that's going to go to our friends over in the UK. They're called uh, the Scaring Sam podcast. It's a husband and wife team, just like ourselves. And I believe the roles are flipped in this situation where the husband is trying to scare the wife. So they're really cool people. Um, really sweet. I urge you to check out their podcast as well. And on that note, I guess we'll see you next week with Leprechaun. Which one? Are we getting, were we doing in order? Like one, two, three, four or what? Yes. So Leprechaun in space. Is that one we're going to cover? Yeah. Uh, is it funny? <laughs> I don't know horrible. that I've ever seen that one. It's so horrible. I will say that I enjoy Leprechaun 3 though. Is Le that the one with Jennifer Aniston? No, that's part one. Okay. So I don't know. I'm going to get an education on these Leprechaun movies, <laughs> or at least the first four, because I don't know how many of them there are. Aren't there there's, like six of them? I think there's their first original four that ends with Leprechaun in Space, and then I think they did that. They tried to do the remake. It was called like Lep Leprechaun Origins or something, um, and that was not uh, Warwick Davis, and it was like made by WWE or WWF. You know, they did... What was that? They did, they did a couple of horror movies, like See No Evil and stuff. They kind of did their thing for half a minute. Um, and then we got another sequel, I guess, last year. We got a sequel to the original run where our main character is supposed to be Jennifer Aniston's daughter and all that. Although I don't blame... We won't make it to those. I don't blame Jennifer Aniston at all for not wanting to return to this. So. <laughs> but... But yeah, we won't, probably will not cover those, or at least not at this time, but definitely those first four. So it's going to be lots of fun. Yeah, spaces where horror monsters go to die. It worked Unfortunately. On, it worked on Pinhead. <laughs> it worked on Jason. <laughs> I think it worked on the Leprechaun too. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you back here next week and where that fun will begin. And thank you for hanging out with us as always. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, quick reminder to find us on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as SpookyMom83 and Travis on Twitter as TravisL80. And find our official page on Instagram and Twitter at Dead and Married. If you have any questions or suggestions for films or otherwise, feel free to email us at deadandmarried at yahoo.com. Later.